Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell. We are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. This episode of the podcast is brought to you from Treaty 1 Territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oja Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Uh, the CFL trade deadline has come and gone this Wednesday. Uh, we have a couple pieces of big news to talk about uh, to do a little bit with that as teams did some tinkering to get ready for the playoff race, perhaps for next season, etc. We'll get into all of that today. We'll also touch on all of the games from uh, week number 12 in the CFL, uh, which were, uh, for the most part, uh, kind of lopsided. Uh, besides the final game between Calgary and Saskatchewan. But first, let's bring in Michael Garrell. Mike, how are you doing this week? Not too bad, not too bad. I've actually had one of my better weeks in quite some time, so that makes me happy. Well, good to hear. Happy to hear you're having a good weekend. Hopefully, we can have a great time talking some CFL football over the next hour and a bit. Uh, let's start with the big deadline trade uh well it was the day before it was on tuesday the uh you know the cfl trade deadline really doesn't get a whole ton of hoopla there's not uh it's not loaded with trades like say the nhl trade deadline is but it seems like more and more each year now there's at least one significant trade that comes around this time last year we all know it was the zach coleros trade to the bombers and well we saw how that ended up playing out for them and this year, it's the Toronto Argonauts involved once again in sending a quarterback and Nick Arbuckle going from the Toronto Argonauts to the Edmonton Elks on a conditional third round pick in the draft, which would become a second rounder if he signs longer term with them. And uh, negotiation list rights to quarterback Chad Kelly. Uh, what do you make of Nick Arbuckle being shipped off, uh, no pun intended because of the Argos, to the Edmonton Elks? You know that 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 just made my morning here early, right? Um, no, but anyway, in all seriousness, um, I don't understand this move from Toronto. I also really don't understand this this move. I mean, I understand the move from Montreal standpoint, but from Toronto, you it, mean? It, it, to me, to me, it just like it doesn't make a lot of sense if if you were. Uh, if you're, you know, the, there's a lot of questions I have about this, um, just to be completely honest. And, you know, I'm glad we've taken, you know, a few extra days here to think about it, but I still have not come up with a very logical reason for this trade, but it had to happen, particularly in Edmonton's case. I mean, I know... I know they wanted to move on, but like, you know, our bottle from Toronto to Edmonton. Yeah, okay, Edmonton will make that trade all day long. It's Toronto, but I'm a little bit confused about because if you watched the game last week, I'm not exactly sold on MBT as a starting quarterback, like I've said on this podcast uh, multiple times. Um, his track record is a couple of good games followed by a bad game, or not a bad game, but 
One of it makes me question, you know, what he sees. And I think that was the game last week for me. Um, I, I just, like, we're not in the room in Toronto to see what happens and what necessitates this this uh, trade, of course. To me, it's they didn't want to pay two starting quarterbacks is what it sounds like. But they didn't exactly use that money that they took off the books for anything else. So, and now they've kind of left themselves exposed in my mind with an injury. And that's no disrespect to Antonio Pipkin. But I think Nick Arbuckle is the the better quarterback. And I, I don't know. Like, I'm still trying to figure out a lot of what is going on here because... You know, you brought in Arbuckle, you paid a sizable price to get him in there as your quarterback, and you anointed him basically as the quarterback of the future starting this year, and now he's not with your team, not even a, not even a, a year later, and it just makes me wonder some things, and you know, as you remember, McLeod Bethel Thompson was a late signing to the free agent pool with the Argos, so it wasn't exactly like they went out and re-signed him on the first day of free agency, whether that was uh, NFL opportunities or not. So I'm just basically left with a whole bunch of confusion, and I'm hoping maybe you can help clarify my thoughts a little bit. Well, for me, I, I also didn't love this trade from the Toronto perspective. I do think McLeod Bethel-Thompson is a capable starting quarterback in the CFL. I think he's uh, his numbers this year have aligned pretty well with most other quarterbacks. You know, passing is down in the CFL this year. He's averaging 66% completion percentage, uh, you know, sixth in the league in passing yards, and the, all the guys ahead of him halfway you know, a few more games uh, and a nine to six touchdown to interception ratio, which puts them uh, again with the numbers this league, you know, pretty much in line with a lot of a lot of the other guys. So I think he I think he's a capable starting quarterback. And I, I do believe he is the right quarterback to be the one leading the team the rest of the season here. Um, the problem and I also do agree with what you were saying that I think there was some cap casualty here. You know, it's tough to pay a quarter, two quarterbacks for a starting job when one's not getting it. But the issue and the concern I have with this is long term. You know, the Argos, I forget who it was, the Argos organization uh, might have been the general manager or it might have been the vice president had gone and said, we believe Bethel Thompson is our franchise starting quarterback. The issue I have with that is, and this is no disrespect to him, and yes, age is but a number, but He's 33 years old, which is at the point where in a CFL career, we're often talking about, okay, this guy's got, you know, maybe a couple of years left in him in his career. We're, we're already talking about, you know, I think Trevor Harris is around the same age. I know Andrew Harris, the running back, that's maybe a bit different, but is around the same age. And you've got a guy who's 33 years old, has never really had a chance to be the go-to number one starter, right? All his time in Toronto, 2019, it was uh, James Franklin was brought in as the starter and Bethel Thompson was the backup, but still got some starts in there. This year was the same thing with Nick Arbuckle. So now they're giving him the reins. 
But I'll say this, and maybe this is controversial. I feel like they should have done this years ago, right? Like now you're all of a sudden giving him the chance. He's shown you what he can do. Now you're giving him the chance to cement himself as a starter to improve by playing virtually every game. At so late in his career, if you would have done this years ago, he's been with the team since 2017. And I know Ricky Ray was the quarterback there for at least a year or two of that still. And you're not going to start him over Ricky Ray. But I feel like they could have developed him into the franchise quarterback maybe a little bit earlier on. And I'm wondering if it's now at a point where it's a little too little too late. And we're going to see, you know, the Argos have to do something in a couple of years now to cement the quarterback position. Whereas, you know, Nick Arbuckle's a young guy still could have been the quarterback for the future for this team. Yeah, and I think that you articulated one of my concerns, I think, very, very accurately what I was trying to get at. Um, but no, I, I 100% agree with you. Like, I, I think I struggle with the wording franchise quarterback. Um, not to say that he can't be one, but when I look at a franchise quarterback, I look at one that plans to be there long-term, and we're talking four or five years, maybe more. Like, I kind of think of a, you know, a younger, like a Vernon Adams type of type of quarterback where, you know, he's in that prime age of quarterback. And, you know, maybe I'm completely, I don't understand anything that goes on, but it just seems like, teams are okay with having older quarterbacks. Like, if you look at, you know, the guy that you mentioned in McLeod Bethel-Thompson, there was, you know, there's been some older quarterbacks, uh, Trevor Harris being one of them, that are, you know, franchise quarterbacks, and it's not necessarily the, you know, the 26, 27, 28-year-old quarterbacks that are, that are leading these teams. So maybe... Maybe I'm just confused by the wording. Uh, I 100% agree with you. If this was a franchise quarterback decision, as they stated to be, I just don't understand why it didn't happen sooner. But I also wonder, too, how much of this is about removing the distraction for the playoff run. Because, you know, you have to look at it. They're first in the East for last week anyway. I'm not sure where they sit now. Uh, because there's a tie, but it's pretty clear that they're going to make the playoffs. And I'm I'm just wondering if they wanted to remove that that media narrative about who that number one quarterback is, right? Because we were all led to believe that Arbuckle was going to come in, you know, be the number one, and he had two unfortunate injuries, which, you know, isn't his fault in the slightest. Um, I would call them unfortunate injuries, but you know, it it's it just removes that doubt, I guess, on who the number one guy is, whether that's the right decision. Time will tell. Um but personally that I don't think that would have been a decision that I would have made. Um I would have probably made that decision in house and then I personally would have found a way to keep uh both of them because I think you need a proven quarterback. No disrespect to, you know, Antonio Pipkin, but you know what? It's not like I'm gonna be, not like I'm gonna hurt my chances trying to move a, a quarterback. 
I, I think it's better served that uh, that Arbuckle, you know, was there. But you know, if you're looking at an asset for potential, we did it something for nothing. Then I understand that side of it too. But I'm not just I'm 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 just saying that's probably not the way I would have handled it. Yeah, you've got as good a shot as anybody to come out of the East this year and make it to the Grey Cup. And I'm just hoping this doesn't come back to bite the Argos if, you know, Bethel Thompson does go down. But, you know, it's not like you don't have a proven option at quarterback necessarily in Pipkin, who has had some time as a starter in the CFL as a backup. So maybe the Argos believe in this tandem of Bethel Thompson and Pipkin. But uh, quickly from the Edmonton side of things, I love this deal for Edmonton bringing in Nick Arbuckle. Uh, we talked uh, last episode, I think, about the Trevor Harris trade to Montreal. And, you know, the big concern with that one was you're trading away your proven quarterback here when we really don't know anything about Taylor Cornelius. We saw him play like two games and was all of a sudden, you know, this is the team's starter going forward. Now that we have the full picture here of the Elks bringing in uh, Nick Arbuckle, uh, yeah, I, I like the trade a little bit more to they essentially, what the Elks have done is they shipped out Trevor Harris and a third round pick and a Nagelist player to bring in Nick Arbuckle and some improvement even on the defensive line and Antonio Simmons. And I think that was a good move for them. I think Arbuckle has the potential to be a good quarterback for them uh, to build their team around, build the offense around going forward here. And, you know, uh, I don't think Brock Sunderland has done very many things right in recent years there in Edmonton, but I have to give him respect that. I think this was a, a good pair of moves for him. Yeah. To, to me, to me, I don't understand this one either, because I mean, didn't you just annoy Jamie Armando said something like, "We want to see what we have with with uh, with Taylor Cornelius. We think we have something to work with, something along those lines." And then this, you know, this trade happens. It's it's very it's curious for me, but I mean, in in the same sense, this deal was made by a general manager who. Let's be honest with you, is not guaranteed to be there beyond this year. I would suspect. I I think you'd be in that in that boat as well. Yeah. And I'm wondering if this is a trade to perhaps take some of the pressure off of himself and say, you know what, hey, I got you guys the number one quarterback. Um. You know, this is just so confusing on my part because, you know, this is where I wish we could be a fly on the wall in football locker rooms and just see the dynamic because I still cannot get over how fast that relationship with the Elks and Trevor Harris seemed to deteriorate considering he had the previous relationship with uh, Jamie Alzondo, the coach. And then now Alzondo has this connection with Taylor Cornelius dating back from one of the spring leads. And now you go get an upgrade, in my mind, over Cornelius with with Nick Arbuckle. So is this just a matter of 
a suitable upgrade came onto the lap of Brock Sutherland and he decided to pull the trigger. Because if that's the case, then I totally understand it. But it doesn't make any sense based on your media statements from the last two weeks saying that you want to see if you can build around Taylor Cornelius. So either Arbuckle's coming in to back up Cornelius for the rest of the year or something changed in the last five days or ten days or however long it's been uh, to necessitate that move. And it's, it's just very curious because I did, certainly did not have Nick Arbuckle to Edmonton on my bingo card this year. Well, it's interesting. I like you, the point you made about potentially is this kind of a desperation move to save your job if you're Brock Sunderland. And we're going to get into talking about a general manager who did not save his job uh, shortly. But an interesting scenario here with you mentioned that, you know, they they put their trust in Cornelius a couple of days ago and then kind of, you know, played the Uno reverse card here. Uh, and ended up saying, no, we're going to go pick up Nick Arbuckle instead. Uh, and this is a perfect segue into some of the other moves from the since the last time we recorded the podcast. Look at what the Bombers kept saying with the kicking position with Ali Mortada. You know, uh, Mike O'Shea constantly saying, yeah, we believe in him. We're going to keep putting our trust in him. What were they doing on the side? They were bringing in Sergio Castillo as a kicker. We'll talk about that in a second. They were still making that move. You kind of got to play the optics here if you're the coaching staff and the manager for Edmonton. Let's say you don't know for sure that you're going to be able to pull off this Arbuckle trade. Do you want to go and say in the media and have Taylor Cornelius feel like, yeah, we're not really sure where we're going to go from here. We just traded our you know franchise quarterback to Montreal and uh, well, we'll give Cornelius a shot and we'll see how that goes. But no, you're going to instill confidence in him in case you can't pull off this trade here. So I I get that from the Edmonton perspective of the kind of media optics of that move there. And unfortunately, Ryan, I think you also nailed that right on the head, right on the head with the comparison. Like, you know, that's just the way, unfortunately, two different franchises decide to operate. Uh, The other side of this is, you know, it, it is a business and there's people that are saying, Oh, Mike, you know, it's a business. Teams can do what they want. Yeah, okay, but those people involved here with families and, you know, there's fan bases that hang on management's every word. Um, I just would like to know if I'm Taylor Cornelius, where the, where the heck I stand with the franchise. after yeah. you basically anointed me as number one. Would I be frustrated? Absolutely. Would I be motivated? Absolutely. But I would certainly have a lot of questions. And I'm sure if I would get the start this week, if I'm Taylor Cornelius, I'm going to have a little, you know, something to say on the football field about, you know, trying to motivate myself to, to be the best possible quarterback. So, <laughs> the whole thing, Ryan, just doesn't make a lot of sense. And I, I totally see this as a general manager trying to save trying to save his job more than anything. And time will tell whether that succeeds. Do I think it ha do I think he saved his job by this trade? 
Absolutely not, because I I never felt like the quarterbacking was an issue for Edmonton. Uh, they have multiple issues with that roster, as I see it. Quarterback was maybe four or five on my list. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. There, this is one change is not going to change around the uh, the issues the Elks have had this year. I think there's there's a lot more in terms of the chemistry, the buildup of the team than just the play of the quarterback position, which you know wasn't great in itself, but there uh, th- that doesn't uh, lead to the uh, two and seven record all on its own for the Elks. Let's move on to talking about some of the other moves from this past week. Uh, the Calgary Stampeders making a notable uh, reacquisition, bringing back defensive back Trey Roberson, uh, who uh, back in 2019, you know, was one of, if not the best defensive backs in the CFL. Uh, great season, ended up going to the NFL, and uh, now has come back to rejoin the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, you got to like the upgrade there for a team that already seems to be kind of rounding the corner, don't you? Yeah, and I, I would say this week's result aside, I think that's a definite need for Calgary. I think when they've lost games, that's how they've lost games, is at that position. Um, a little bit younger, you know, they're a little bit younger at that position, and I know those guys have kind of rounded into form. Uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks, based on based on their results, uh, you know their quarterback has played better. But the, this, to me, addresses the need of the Stampeders uh, for me, anyway. And then I think it was a fateful Tuesday morning this past week where one Kyle Walters woke up and chose violence on the rest of the league when he, with his already championship caliber team, who is sitting at. 10 and one on the season uh, after their latest victory and has already locked and has locked up the West division basically went out and in the span of a day filled every single potential spot he may need to improve on his championship team. Uh, The biggest hole that the Bombers have had all year long has been the kicking game. They bring in former CFL all-star Sergio Castillo to fill that spot. Uh, They also you know, Andrew Harris is on the six-game injured list, so they have Brady Oliveira starting at running back, but they brought in a uh, recent cast-off from BC Shaq Cooper, which uh, made me extra happy because we've talked about, I think, just last episode, how much I love him and what I think he is capable of. And they bring back uh, defensive back Winston Rose, which was who was a big part of that 2019 championship team. And you've already got a defensive backfield where uh, that has been putting up, you know, historic numbers this season. And it's uh, remarkable to think you bring back such a high quality player, one of the best defensive backs there is in Winston Rose. And it's kind of like, who are you taking out of the lineup to put them in? Because everybody's been playing so well. Um, Your thoughts on uh, Kyle Walter's uh, glorious Tuesday. Yeah, I'm not sure necessarily if you're taking anybody out of the lineup, but rather this is just a depth move to secure some help in the event of an injury. Um, much like I feel the Shot Cooper edition does. Um, 
although I think I've expressed to you that I feel this is just a move to make sure that nobody else gets shot, Cooper. Um, but, I mean, as far as Winston Rose goes, I know they had one of their one of their corners whose name escapes me, but there was a bit of a question mark about injury-wise. Um, you know, this is just Kyle Walters, in my mind, saying we have a great football team, but I'm not going to do anything to jeopardize our chances of winning the great cup if we get one injury and we put our hopes in a rookie that, you know, hasn't really played on that side of the field. It's more the proven veteran commodity in Winston Rose. And I think this is just your final. I know that I've done everything I could depth-wise to put this team over the top and let's see what happens. And, you know, good teams do that, right? It, you know, it would be so easy at 10 and 1 to rest on your laurels and say, no, we got a good team. We don't need to bring anybody in. Uh, personally, I would have been happy with just the ticker, although this past week has given me some pause for thought. Who knows? We'll see what happens. But, I mean, I think if you have the chance to bring in a guy like Winston Rose and he called the Bombers and the, or the Bombers called him and said, you want to come back and, and win a great cup like that's a no-brainer for anybody. A player like Winston Rose's caliber. Um, Jack Cooper, to me, is really interesting still. Um, but, again, it's it's... This Winston Rose thing is Kyle Walters just basically saying, I want to put my team in the best position possible. Even if we have an injury somewhere on the back end of our defense, we can plug in a Winston Rose or one of our starters that's been there. If you want to put him on as a backup and replace him with Winston Rose, he's basically leaving no stone unturned. And he basically sent a message to the CFO that said, Yes, we're ten and one, but we're not scared to get better at positions that you don't even think we need to get better at <laughs> because we're serious about winning the Great Cup. Yeah, and and you know, I like you, I would have been happy with just a kicker upgrade. My biggest fear, week in and week out, and I've talked about this with you, is just been a great season, but I saw it in my mind just all coming crashing down in the playoffs all of a sudden, tight game, missed field goal. Uh, I couldn't help but see that in my mind based on the kicking game so far this year. So, and I think I, I among uh, many other people, were, you know, saying all season long, go call Sergio Castillo, go call Liram Haralahu, who ended up, I think, still on a practice roster in the NFL and wasn't available. But Castillo comes back. Back in 2019, he was kicking around 90% comp- uh, on field goals, was one of the best kickers in the CFL that year. And uh, I think that's a good upgrade at the position. Now, as you mentioned, Ali Murtada seems to maybe have gotten things back on track a little bit the past couple of games. I think two games ago, he went four for five on field goals. Uh, last game he uh, against BC, he didn't have to kick any field goals. Uh, and interestingly enough, there were a few cases I found where the Bombers decided to uh, punt the ball instead of trying a longer field goal, which... I mean, the lead they had kind of let them do that. Uh, But he did make all of his converts in that game and seems to maybe 
have turned things around a little bit. So uh, knowing how Mike O'Shea likes to be loyal to his uh, his players uh, and the fact that Mortada's gotten to keep kicking for a number of weeks in a row, how do you see this playing out at the kicker position for the Bombers? Because certainly you don't just bring Castillo in and make the trade. They did give BC, I think, a fourth-round pick for his rights. Certainly you don't bring him in just to sit him on the bench, right? Yeah, it's very interesting, and that goes back to what I said, right? You want to leave no stone unturned at any position, and this just steals it to me. And to me, this is just me, and I know Bomber fans don't want to hear this because it's been so good, but anything less of it, anything less than a great Cup championship will be seen as a disappointment. Yes, totally agree with you. And it was the same way for Hamilton in 2019. Uh, And it's been the same way for Calgary teams in the past. It's been the same for Montreal teams in the KLBO days. You know, uh, things are rolling here in Winnipeg, but let's, uh, and, you know, Grey Cup looks hopeful. They have clinched the West Division one win away at IG Field December 5th uh, to getting into the Grey Cup this year. But the playoffs in the CFL, certainly anything can happen. But I agree with what your assessment was here that, you know, Kyle Walters has really boosted his team to have them be able to, you know, deal with any injuries they've gotten down the stretch. I would say the Bombers have been one of the luckiest teams in the CFL this year in terms of injuries. You know, yes, you had Kyrie Wilson, Steven Richardson missed some time on defense. You had, you know, Nick Dembski missed a couple of games earlier this year. Uh, Andrew Harris you know, probably has been the biggest one, uh, Janarian Grant, but uh, they haven't lost a quarterback due to injury yet. Uh, I'll, t- I'll talk about that in a second. Um, running back now, even with Andrew Harris out until the West final, potentially, which really none of the next games up until then matter for the Bombers. They can't finish worse than first. Um, you've got Oliveira, Johnny Augustine, who had a 55-yard run this last game, and now you've got Shaq Cooper at running back. At receiver, they've been pretty healthy all year long. You still got, if a guy goes down, you've got Naaman Roosevelt waiting in the in the wing there. Defensively, we've seen them dress nine defensive linemen for a game earlier this year. We've seen guys fill in admirably at uh, linebacker when there's been injuries. And now you've got an extra piece to rotate in there in Winston Rose at defensive back. Uh, it's hard to see a hole here for this team Uh, as they do march their way to the playoffs uh, where there is a concern even with an injury, but I think the hole there is, and I'm wondering how you feel about this right now is should they have seen if they could have brought some sort of veteran quarterback in as a backup for the playoffs, given, you know, Sean McGuire really doesn't have much playing time uh, as a quarterback in the CFL. Is that a spot where perhaps Kyle Walters should have looked to see if he could upgrade? It is a concern. I'm not going to lie, but I think it's a system in which a backup, given the team around them, could have some success. Um, obviously, you're not going to pay a very high price to bring a veteran quarterback in. Um, yeah, like that, that. That's a really tricky thing about you know you're 
you're one hit away from not having your quarterback, you know, and then you have a, a guy that hasn't played very much, which leads to my next thing. I, I really feel that uh, John McGuire should get the start coming out of the bye. Um, listen, I know you got a home. I know you got a home potential perfect home record on the line, but like all that by the wayside, I think we should see uh, Sean McGuire play, you know, a game and a half out of these next two games here just to see. Because, to me, one hit on Zach Palos, as we've seen in the past, could be, you know, what is right now a 10-1 and season down, down, down the drain. Now, whether, you know, Tolaros would agree with that, I guess, I just remains to be seen, but if it was me, I'm starting Sean McGuire. If not coming out of the bye, then certainly that game against Montreal. I, I no disrespect to the Alouettes, but I would treat that game in Montreal as a road preseason game. I, I would leave a lot of my a lot of my veterans at home, uh, certainly ones that are nursing injuries, and I would go in there with Sean McGuire and. You know, just see what happens. And, you know, he needs to get some experience. And, you know, I know he was in the game there for the last seven or eight minutes. But, you know what, let's see him in the first quarter. Let's see what he's got against, you know, a very good Montreal team. Uh, a team that you could be playing in the Grey Cup. A team that I think they will be playing in the Grey Cup. Spoiler alert to what I think is going to happen in the East. And I, I've been bullish on them from day one. Um but yeah, I, I just think we need to see Sean McGuire play an entire game in one of these next two games. Uh, I really don't think it's gonna hurt the resume of Zach Kowals as far as MOP. I think that's sealed away, far and away. Um, but yeah, I just think we need to see Sean McGuire. I think they tried to make a move at quarterback. That wouldn't surprise me. And I think they were uncomfortable with some of the prices. And so they decided to upgrade at some of the other areas. Uh, and then they hope that Sean McGuire, that it doesn't come to Sean McGuire playing, you know, the the last final fan. If there's any ounce of of doubt about Palau getting to the last final, you know, you could put McGuire in at any time and, you know, just literally get this, get this to the finish line without getting, you know, too many players hurt. Mm-hmm. And I just want to touch on one thing, if I can, Ryan. Because sure. um, the CFL panel was saying, you know, the the question was posed, I don't know if you caught it, but if the Bombers win, do they clinch the West too early? I, I, I had trouble with that question from the standpoint of, you know, if you're Michael Shea, you want to win every game possible. And I know that based on the based on the season that the, that the Bombers have had, they're probably still stewing over that loss to Toronto, <laughs> which was their worst game that they played all year, and somehow just about had a chance to win there. Remember they got it to to twenty seven twenty, and then that wound up being the final. And if that's your worst game out of eleven, okay, we'll take one out of eleven. But no, I think the Bombers, it was in their best interest to clinch first place as soon as possible. 
I think this is such a veteran team that they won't allow themselves to get complacent in these last three games. If you think about it, that defense has some records at stake that haven't even been seen in the history of this Canadian football league. They have given up six points in the fourth quarter all season long. Six. And there is an awful lot of pride on this on this on this veteran team, and I, I'm with Mel Steedle. The veterans will not allow them to get complacent. This is a bomber team that has unfinished business, but is talking like a team that didn't know that they clinched. For, uh, but they had to try to clinch first place last week, which for me is a load of you know what. I, I think if you're an athlete, you're watching the standings and you know exactly what's going on. But I think somebody would have gotten in trouble for saying something with Michael Shea, because uh, Michael Shea usually doesn't like to say even even. I'll say this: if the Bombers were ten seconds away from winning the Great Cup up by ten, I'll say with. <laughs> The job is not done. And I think if that mindset continues, and I have no reason to doubt that it won't, I do not feel there will be a letdown in the next two weeks. They're such a veteran team that has been through the rigors. And I do not worry about, you know, clinching the West too early. Um, because I think you want to clinch that spot as soon as possible, and I think the veterans won't allow them to be complacent because they will be reminded by a coach and by, by, and by players, hey, no slotting off, only part of the work is done. And kudos to the Bombers. They clinched the West early. Good on them. And let's continue, and let's play these next two games you know, to the best of your ability, and then see what happens in that last game. And if it's me, then I treat that last game as a playoff game and start sending a message to a potential, you know, West Division final opponent that, hey, you know, if you have positioning to play for, if it's the difference between sending Calgary potentially to a crossover or something of that nature, which I don't even know if that's possible now. Oh, well, yeah, I, I, th- I think it's pretty safe to say Calgary's going to be locked into a playoff spot. But if you have a chance to in- affect Calgary's playoff standing, whether that's, you know, sending them on the road or sending them, you know, to, to the Eastern crossover, you owe it to yourself to play that last game like it's a playoff warm-up. Look at what happened in 2001. Bombers had a chance to eliminate Calgary on the last day of the season. Bombers had a lot of veterans. It didn't work out. Calgary got in. They were the crossover, or they were the, uh, sorry, they were the Western uh, team that ended up beating the Bombers at 14-4 and four in the uh, in the Grey Cup. So leave no stone unturned and use that last Calgary team as a warm-up for the playoffs and give them the the best possible game you can and let their seating dictate where they finish. 
Now, the Bombers clinched first place in the West Division, and on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, one team in the Ottawa Red Blacks clinched, missing the playoffs this week with a 32-3 loss to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And uh, with the news of Ottawa officially missing the playoffs, first of all, my bold prediction from uh, five, six weeks ago is uh, after they you know, won their second game of the year is officially dead. Uh, that went well. Um, but also officially uh, no longer living is the uh, the contract of general manager Marcel Desjardins, who has been let go by the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, I have to say I was pretty surprised when I saw this news come out, you know, based on the track record of things in Ottawa lately. You know, some would have said perhaps Desjardins uh, should have been the one to be let go and not head coach Rick Campbell after the 2019 season. And I felt like things were trending this year where coach Paul Apolise was going to be the scapegoat here for Ottawa and was going to, you know, lose his job for not getting it done this year. But no, they decide to let go of Marcel Desjardins. And uh, it sounds like, you know, they're going to be uh, looking for uh, a new general manager. I think they've got a couple guys uh, taking over that role in the interim for now. Uh, but it sounds like they're going to be looking for a GM that wants to keep the current coaching staff, including uh, Paul Apolis, in place. And that's very encouraging to me to, to see for Ottawa because this year has been a disaster for them. And I'm, I'm surely I'm sure Apolis is uh, at least a small part of him is looking at where his team is now and where the Bombers are right now. And he, he, a part of him's got to be kicking himself of, did I make the right decision to go over here to Ottawa? And he didn't really get, you know, much help from his general manager. I don't think they set this team up uh, in a way where they were going to have success this year. Uh, so I, I think it was the right call to let Marcel Desjardins go. You know, they they were missing a lot of pieces on the offensive line. The quarterback situation, they've tried four different quarterbacks this year. Nobody's found particular good success there. Uh, I think this is a young team that's going to need some new pieces brought in. It may take some time to do so, and uh, it will be a new general manager at the helm doing so. Here's my problem with that, and I am all for finding a GM that can keep, you know, Paul Police in, in place? Are you not hand-tying yourself as far as candidates go in that case? Because don't you, as an ownership group, owe it to your fan base to get the best possible general manager? And I'm not saying that that general manager doesn't want to keep Paul Apolise on. But I'm saying, what if a candidate, excuse me, what if a really good candidate comes comes about and he says, no, I don't want to keep Paul Apolise. Are you going to, are you going to stray off of that? It sounds like they are, but I, I think that's a mistake to at least say that publicly right now. Um, as much as I love that they're doing that, I'm just wondering if they hand-tied themselves a little bit because 
Now the only logical explanation for somebody that would want to keep Paul Apolise on might be uh, some of the names that I've heard is Dwayne Ford. Uh, he came out and said he would be interested in being the Ottawa general manager. Or uh, Ted Govaya, who's the uh, assistant general manager here in Winnipeg, or Danny McManus, who's the other assistant general manager. I mean, those were the two names I think I floated out to you almost right away when I heard the, we want to keep Paul Apolis around. Uh, I'm hoping Paul Apolis has a better standing uh, with, has a good standing, sorry, with a lot of other people. But those were the two names that, when I heard that right away, came to my head. Um, it's just going to be very interesting. I'm just wondering if the Ottawa ownership has hand-tied themselves by saying, you can be the general manager, but we already have your coach. And I'm not too sure how many candidates that would, you know, necessarily yield to when, you know, if I'm a candidate, especially for a general manager job, I'm not sure I'd want to have my my board or my ownership dictate who my coach is, especially if, uh, now I would probably know who the coach is in some way or another, but I'm just speaking for myself. Like if I was to become a general manager, I would prefer to bring in my own coach, uh, assuming I was allowed to do that. And I and I wonder just how many high end candidates they're they're turning away because of that. And hopefully it's not many because I I believe that Paul Apolis has a great working relationship in football with a lot of people. It just it just baffles me that they would admit that much, you know, publicly, right? Or at least in reports. And what happens if that doesn't happen, right? Now you kind of. You painted yourself into a PR corner that he better be your head coach coming out of the search, or or you're gonna have some PR explaining to do. And I wonder, Ryan, if if this isn't just a, a case of we'll take the general manager with a little less experience, we'll pair him with Paul Apolis, and we'll make them co-general managers. I don't know if that's their line of thinking at all, but, you know, it's just curious to me, like I said, that they would uh, make that at least public in reports. I don't know how you see that. Well, I, I don't think that's not the biggest issue because I think you could, you know, say, oh, yeah, we're searching for somebody who can uh, who can be a good fit with Lapo. But uh, it, certainly if then all of a sudden, you know, they they get somebody who doesn't, well, they could go and say, we, we found, you know, we interviewed a bunch of different candidates. Uh, here was the best one available uh, out of all of them and uh, didn't want to keep them. And I don't think that's going to be the case. I, I think I think a lot of people, you know, see good things in La Police as a head coach. And I think they are going to be able to find a candidate who uh, who can do so. Because, like I said, this is a team that has a lot of young pieces to develop here. And so now you get to come in as a general manager. And it's almost like it's this is your project now. It's not like you have a ton of veterans that you need to ship off and uh, and start over. It's now you can go in and kind of build the team from the ground up 
that you uh, that you get to put your stamp on here. And of the options we've talked about, you know, I love the option of potentially Dwayne Ford. You, you hear him on the on the TSN broadcast all the time. So knowledgeable. I think uh, scouting is a thing that's really one of his strengths there. You know, uh, he has a lot of knowledge on uh, especially Canadian talent when it comes to uh, CFL players. And, and I think that's a potential real good fit here for Ottawa. Um, you mentioned a couple of the assistants for the Bombers. That wouldn't surprise me either. Uh, and here's another name I've seen floated out. I don't think this is out of the realm of possibility. Uh, Chris Jones uh, was coaching high school somewhere in the States when he decided to up and leave the team to go uh, rejoin the CFL with the Toronto Argonauts uh, as a defensive coach there. Uh, I, I would say it's non-zero. I would say it's almost like close to a 50% chance in my mind that we see Chris Jones take over as the general manager of the Ottawa Red Blacks. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, I don't mean to stray too far away from, you know, the topic at hand, but I see a lot of in Ottawa, what I saw, or what we saw, I guess, in Winnipeg with the, you know, when Kyle Walters took over, um, as you remember, Walters was a special teams coach at one point, then he moved his way to to assistant general manager before come, becoming the general manager with Wayne Miller and, and and Michael Shea. You know, I see a lot of similarities, whether it's, you know, as bad as it was when those three took over. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's going to take some time to fix this. I, I don't think it's a one-year fix. Uh, I would sure hope it's not a one-year fix because, you know, quick fixes rarely work. To ask certain teams that have done that, um, the Bombers have had a sustainable fit the last, you know, five or six years where they've just improved each and every year. It involved a couple of tough losses, um, but again, you know, Marcel Mar- Marcel Belf. Ah, sorry, Marcel. Oh, don't mention that name. Oh, I know, I know. That's exactly what I exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking about Marcel Belfay in his time with the Bombers. Uh, sorry, Marcel Desjardins, who had a very good track record when he was named the you know the general manager of the Ottawa Red Blacks. You know he, what he did. People in Ottawa need to understand this. It's not easy to take the expansion franchise and lead them to success. Uh, right away, it was I think two great, two three great type appearances in the first five years of the franchise, minus the first year, which was just awful for Ottawa. But two or three wins in that first year, then they had that really big off season, turned things around, and it was I think three great cups appearances in five years and one championship. I think, as I recall. Um, and then, you know, that's not easy to do with a team that has absolutely nothing to work with. I think the demise of Marcel Desjardins will be that off season where they lost Trevor Harris, they lost Greg Ellington, they lost Sir Vincent Rogers, and I cannot remember who the fourth one is. 
that to me was the downfall where you lose three or four significant pieces in free agency to one in one off season. Um, that to me would raise alarm bells and that would define a franchise for sure. Now, whether he played a part in those guys not coming back, we'll never know. But, you know, I was just thinking this past week about, you know, where this downward turn started with Ottawa. And I, I, I can't help but think it was when that happened. But, you know, the general manager has to make the decisions on his own. Uh, quite honestly, sports is a what have you done for me lately business. And I think I, I tested the number to you. They were 3-24 and 24 in their last, or 3-25 and 25 in their last 27 or 28 games. Um, and that quite honestly speaks for itself. I think they wanted to give them one more chance to work out of this, uh, from two years ago, because they, maybe they felt like they didn't give them a fair shake. In my mind, he had more than his fair shake, uh, now, and things aren't getting better. And whether he agrees with the firing or not, uh, he seems to tent with things uh, now, and unfortunately, the the sports industry is a what have you done for me lately? But there seems to be a lot of people in Ottawa that seem to forget the beginnings, and those beginnings were pretty good. So before people rail on on the former general manager, and you know he should be fired. In the same sense, they should also be very thankful that he took a team that had nothing to respectability pretty quickly. And then it's like I said, though, sports is a what have you done for me lately business, and that's just the way it is, and that's unfortunately your ticket-buying fans are going to have a lot to say. And if they're not happy because they don't want to come to your games because the product isn't acceptable to them, well, unfortunately, that's kind of what you have to deal with and it's the double-edged sword and in this type of industry and yes you know you, you you love them when you win a championship you love your general manager the minute the ounce of i guess lot of success it kind of turns and that's kind of the good the bad and the ugly with with being a sports manager and my Desjardins knows that. You know, he, you, you, in every circumstance in life, you make decisions that you think are the best at the time, and you, you think about it, you know, he's probably doing a lot of self-reflection this week. If that would have happened, if I would have offered, you know, a little bit more money to retain these guys, you know, would it have been different and that player wouldn't have left and that player wouldn't have left? You know, you go through a lot of what-ifs. Um, things happen. And, you know, yeah, you, I'm just saying Ottawa, need, Ottawa fans need to be grateful. And by and large, I think they are from what I've seen with the beginnings. And then, of course, the unfortunate part of sports, the what have you done for me lately part. Yeah, and I'm glad you touched on that because that's where I was going here too. You know, great start uh, for Desjardins in Ottawa. And I think you hit the nail on the head with that one particular offseason where they lost all of those 
uh, all of those pieces. And I, uh, you know, I have to wonder if it is that first off season where they really just went out and bought a championship caliber team, you know, brought in Henry Burris, all those receivers, et cetera. Uh, I have to wonder if the model he used uh, to build that early success is what set up the downfall in the future because all free agency was spent on all of these big pieces they brought in were veteran players that, you know, as they moved on in their careers, either uh, ended up getting shipped out or signed elsewhere or ended up retiring. And they perhaps didn't do uh, enough of a job of building the future successors at those positions to uh, keep the team consistently successful uh, going forward here. So I think that's kind of where things went wrong for Ottawa and we'll see where they go now. But Mike, we've been talking for almost an hour here uh, about all this news from the past week. It's been a jam-packed week with CFL, and we have not talked about any of the four games we saw this weekend. So I figure we'll go through each here. Uh, Quick two minutes. You pick one of the teams in the game. Give me the storyline for them. I'll give the storyline for the other side. We'll go through game-by-game rapid-fire like this. Uh, So let's start off. The Friday night game kicked things off. Montreal Alouettes beating Toronto Argonauts 37-16. Which team you want to pick here, and what's the storyline for them? Oh, the storyline for me in Montreal right away is Matt Schilt and how he brought that team basically to win that game uh, due to a couple of self-inflicted mistakes with Toronto. But, I mean, the the big story right away is the connection with Eugene Lewis. I mean, Eugene Lewis, 200 and five yards or so and then William Stanback, you know, had a had him had himself a game too, uh, before leaving with uh what appeared to be some kind of injury. I'm not sure if I was cramping or what that was. But all of a sudden now, uh Matthew Schultz making the case to remain to remain the number one quarterback. Uh quickly bid storyline this week is they're playing the Riders at home. Uh, who is the quarterback for Montreal? For my, in my mind, it's Matthew Schultz until uh, proven otherwise. Yeah, I would agree with you on that one. Uh, the exact numbers on the guys you mentioned, Eugene Lewis, seven catches, seven targets, 156 yards, two touchdowns. William Stanback rushing for over 200 yards for Montreal. Uh, I agree with you on Schultz should be the starting quarterback going forward. Big win for Montreal to put them uh, in a tie for first place in the East Division. They have the tiebreaker right now over Toronto with this win. Uh, Big storyline for me with the Argos. I mean, we talked about the trade uh, of Nick Arbuckle and them anointing uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, the starter going forward. Uh, was not exactly the shining performance for him leading into that decision. Uh, He's been very good this year. In fact, coming into... Uh, this game, you know, uh, I think he had only had two interceptions on the year, but four picks here for MBT, uh, 62% completion percentage, did throw 290 yards. I thought the Argos also just abandoned the run game when they have, you know, pretty good run game available to them with the combination of John White and DJ Foster. So major storyline is probably the interceptions by Bethel Thompson here for Toronto. But I want to touch on super quick the uh, the rise of one Curly Gittins Jr. of the Toronto Argonauts because they've got so much talent at the receiver position. You think of Eric Rogers, who's a go-to uh, guy when he's in the lineup. You know, Devaris Daniels, Ricky Collins Jr., all great receivers. Curly Gittins Jr. has quickly become the favorite target of MBT. Eight catches, nine 
attempts, 116 yards. He had over 100 yards last game as well. Uh, I believe he is uh, considered a Canadian receiver, and uh, he has been uh, producing very well in that role this year. One of the best uh, breakout Canadians of the year. Yeah, and it's very interesting, right? I mean, and just in the general sense, and I don't mean to, you know, to, to stray too far from your question, but it's amazing who plays quarterback in a game and who their favorite targets are, right? I mean, I think of Calgary, right? You know, Jade Mayer had some different targets, different favorite targets of emphasis than Bully by Mitchell. And to me, this is a guy in uh, Dittons in Toronto here that's just, been given more and more responsibility each week and has succeeded with with uh, give, being given that opportunity. Next game on the schedule, Saturday triple header, Hamilton beating Ottawa 32-3. to Big, Biggest storyline we know to come out of this one is the firing of Marcel Desjardins. But uh, from this game specifically, uh, which team do you want to take here and what's your storyline for them? Well, I'll be honest, I'll take Ottawa, but I didn't really see much of this game. Um, so I may have taken the easy way out of this one. Um, but no, it's just, it, well, just when you feel like Ottawa's making, Ottawa's making some steps, it seems like the second half was their undoing to the point of the score. Um, and, you know, I think it just speaks to, and I don't mean to disrespect the Ottawa Red Blast because their fans and that are great, but I think it just speaks to the amount of work that they have to to be on par with those three other teams in the East Division. And, you know, I think it also reinforces the need that, you know, Ottawa can win a game every now and then. But, you know, if you play your game, and don't take this team lightly. They they seem to be an easy opponent to beat at this point. And that and is that a harsh? Absolutely. But I think with harsh comes uh, with harsh comes true, right? And you know Hamilton to me showed why they're one of the top teams in the East. And that and that was you know at Ottawa's expense, unfortunately. Yeah, and Ottawa, I think at this point, is in uh, play for next year, see who has jobs coming into next year mode. We saw Caleb Evans and Devlin Hodges split time this week. I imagine uh, we'll see them split time the rest of the way as they try to figure out who their quarterback for next year is, assuming they don't make a change there in the offseason. Big storyline for me for Hamilton is, uh, is Jeremiah Mazzoli officially back? Uh, he started very slow to start the season, then went down due to injury, uh, had a great game last week against, I think it was Toronto. And then this time around 25 of 28, 89 completion percentage, 320 yards, two touchdowns, also picked up 33 yards on the ground, including a 26 yard run. Uh, he's spreading the ball around to all of his different receivers, uh, in this game, you know, Braylon Addison led the way with 95 yards, but you had, uh, three or four guys hovering around the 50-yard mark as well. Uh, they've got Dane Evans, who came in and poached two rushing touchdowns uh, on short runs there. 
Um, yeah, things seem to be going well for Hamilton. Things are healthy there. And uh, it's good to see Mazzoli back playing at the level we know he's capable of. Yeah, and to me, we're starting to see that Jeremiah Mazzoli, just to quickly add a little bit here, uh, we're starting to see that Jeremiah Mazzoli bit was the Jeremiah Mazzoli, but was on, <coughs> excuse me, on the verge of winning the MOP award before it's very serious injuries. So that's nice to see. Getting in the second game on Saturday, I had the pleasure of being at this game, and it was uh, one for the history books. I don't know if I've ever seen this in person. Uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers shutting out the BC Lions 45-0. to zero. I'll let you pick which way you want to go here. I have a feeling I know. Uh, but what's the major storyline here? Well, I'll go with BC. I'll, I'll give you the easy one this time. Uh, no, I, I did see this game after the fact. And uh, if I'm BC, I'm just marveling at the fact that I lost to you know, a, a very good football team, and it, it just leads to a lot of questions. Um, number one, I know they're in the race for a playoff spot technically, which is dimming uh, by the day here, by the week, I guess, with two straight road games before, you know, two more home games. Uh, Finns better get turned around in the Lions' den in a really quick hurry, or Finns aren't going to look very good. Uh, I, I'm just amazed whether... It was the Bombers just being that utterly dominant, but BC didn't even score a point, uh, which to me is very, it, it leads to a lot of questions in my mind. Are the Bombers that good? Are BC just that? Did they have that one bad game? But all of a sudden now it's been three rather lopsided games in a row with the Bombers, you know, two weeks ago. Then I think it was Calgary last week where they didn't look good. And then, now the Bombers again, and now questions need to be asked uh, about that early season start. But did I remember they were 4-2 and two, right in the fit of the West Division, and it seems to be like the bottom has fallen out. And I think now, quite honestly, we're seeing who, who the real BC team is, and that is the fact that regardless of the fact they played the Bombers, there is some work to be done to shore up particularly the defensive side of uh, of the football. And, you know, you can work with Mike O'Reilly at quarterback, but he's not getting any younger. Uh, there's very serviceable uh, receivers, uh, one of which is currently hurting Lucky Whitehead. So, yeah, there's a lot of questions, particularly on BC's defensive game of late. And I think that would be an area of emphasis in the winter. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. BC did not look good. Granted, most teams don't when they face the Bombers, but uh, not even getting a point on the board. Uh, they had the one field goal attempt that I think just went wide right. It was almost like, okay, when, when that happened, I was kind of like, okay, hey, some sort of magic's going to happen in this game. Uh, the big storyline for the Bombers is most obviously the shutout. The defense has been the talk of the town, the talk of the league all season long. And we all talk about them not allowing uh, points in the fourth quarter. And, uh, well, they kind of took that to the next level this week and didn't allow any points in any quarters uh, on the game. And, you know, we're getting into late in this game and it's like, oh, BC's putting a drive together in the fourth quarter. And it's like, no, protect the shutout. And it's like hockey. Nobody wants to mention the word shutout. 
but the Bombers pull it off. A fantastic game. That defense uh, wreaking havoc and uh, having some fun while they were at it. Uh, the uh, the pick six by one Willie Jefferson, where he picks off Michael Riley right at the line of scrimmage, uh, starts uh, trotting off to the end zone. You look back and Riley's just lying on the floor watching him. And Willie Jefferson, the entertainment character he is, uh, decides to turn around and go backwards to, uh, I don't know if he was trying to high five Brandon Alexander. I don't know if he was trying to give the ball maybe to him because Alexander was the one who forced the pressure. Uh, but we had the hilarious uh, antics of Willie Jefferson uh, doing a little bit of taunting there, as we know he uh, likes to do from time to time. Uh, and uh, and Brandon Alexander not wanting anything to do with it. Willie goes for the high five and Alexander just pushes him towards the end zone and he goes in for the score. I thought that was uh, a hilarious uh, chain of events there. Can I, can I clarify, because I saw the video on that, and I was looking at that very, very closely. It sounded like, they, it looked like to me that they tried a lateral. And then Willie Jefferson looks, and he says, oh, maybe I better take this in myself, because there's a BC guy not that far away. Uh, to me, it looked like a lateral to Alexander within the rules, of course. You know, I'm... I'm Backwards pass, I guess it would be. Um, but to me, that was more like a lateral than taunting. But uh, yeah. But yeah, interesting play nonetheless. Uh, other uh, major storyline for the Bombers, you talked about it already. Zach Caleros, uh seems to be uh, more and more each week cementing his case for MOP. 80% completion, 267 yards, three touchdowns for Caleros in this one. Then we get into our final game of the week. Uh, and this one was the only one that was really close. Uh, third matchup in October between Saskatchewan and Calgary. The Riders finally take one 20 to 17 win here. Uh, which team are you taking a storyline for? I'll take the Riders because I, I like this team again. Suddenly I like them when they win. I have questions when they lose. What else is new? Um, anyway, but no, for the Riders to me, this was. I'm going to start with a concern. To me, that offensive line played better, but they're going to need to be better uh, in the future if they're going to want to win games. I think they finally figured some stuff out uh, later on in the game, whether that's moving the pocket. Uh, to me, we're starting to see that defense again be a very a force to be reckoned with. We're seeing the defense that I think we saw early in the season, but I think it disappeared for the most part. Uh, I would like to see more from uh, particularly Shot Evans and Duke Williams, but you know I, I don't know how high of a bar one should have, given it was both one of them was their first game of the season, and the other one it was their first game in uh, quite some time. So I, I think there's certainly some things to work with for the Riders. Uh, I think there was an element of pride because I don't think they would have heard the end of it from their fan base. Having lost three straight to Calgary, that's just me. Uh, that's a temperature thing that I get from, you know, just to the west of us. But again, lots lots of positives. And as always, some, some things to work on. And, you know, it's kind of fit in the defense, seals the game late in the game for them. 
Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Bit of a surprise uh, that we didn't see Williams or Evans take off. Uh, Kyron Moore leading the way in receiving yards and Braden Lenius getting very involved, uh, which I thought he would uh, become kind of a second thought in that offense uh, with the return of those other guys there. Uh, for Calgary, the storyline for me is they let this game get away from them. You know, Bo Levi Mitchell, a lot has been made this year of his uh, interceptions. Uh, that he's thrown. He threw three again this week, just after last week, we were kind of celebrating that he didn't. Uh, seven to 13 TD to interception ratio for Bo on the year. Now, that's uh, certainly not what we're accustomed to for him. He did throw for over 300 yards, but uh, that was probably the storyline of how Calgary lost this game. I will say one thing I really am excited to see from the Calgary side of things is uh, seems like uh, maybe we have a bit of a rise of Richie Sandani at receiver in the past couple of weeks. Uh, last week, six catches, six attempts, 60 yards. This week, six catches, six attempts, 54 yards and a touchdown. Uh, you know, you've got so many talented receivers there. Kamar Jordan, Marky Tham, Bulls, Josh Huff when he's healthy, et cetera. Sandani kind of a lot of times feels like that, uh, you know, that Canadian slot in there. I believe he's Canadian. Um, and, uh, yes, he is just double checked on that, uh, and kind of, you know, put in the lineup, but not heavily used. Uh, it's encouraging to see him being used there. And I think this year in general, we could say we're seeing Canadian receivers get perhaps more involved than we've seen across the league in a long time. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? A new guy comes to the, to the, to the fray every so often. It was, Shape for Beto there in Regina, and and now it's Sedani, a guy we've kind of known about uh, for a while, uh, making the most of his opportunities, and that's just absolutely terrific. Uh, with his uh, targets to completions uh, ratio, I mean, if you ever want a chance to prove to your quarterback that you can be a, a reliable target, it starts with catching the balls that are thrown to you. So, so turn on him for, for taking advantage of an opportunity. Now, as we get into the final stages of this episode, so we say goodbye to week number 12 and we uh, move on to week number 13 in the CFL. Uh, CFL Fantasy from this past week in the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy League. We had the uh, big head-to-head matchup for first place between myself and Andrew from the Turf District. Uh, a Shaq Evans catch late in the uh, fourth quarter there put me over the top, beat him by 1.4 points for the win, uh, which puts both of us at eight and four in a tie at the top of the standings. And uh, interestingly enough, the season series, I crunched the numbers, is exactly tied. Uh, one win apiece. He beat me the first one by 1.4. I beat him in the second one by 1.4. So uh, should a tiebreaker come down to it at the end of the season? it will be total points on the year, which uh, only separated right now by six. So the race for first place in the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy League is on, uh, and I'll look to try to keep myself on pace for that uh, in a matchup with the great Rod Gomez of the uh, Wood Cookie Sawcast this week. Should be a tough matchup there. Uh, one of the most well-versed guys in the world of fantasy football uh, that I know of. So looking forward to that matchup. Make sure you check out the Turf District podcast, the Wood Cookie Sawcast, and all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. 
in the little fantasy league going on between Mike and myself. It was uh, probably our closest week of the year. Uh, me pulling out the win by 0.5 points, 125 to 124.5. Uh, we each had some big performers. I had Eugene Lewis in my lineup at 34.6 points. Uh, thanks for the trade on that one, Mike, uh, from the week before. But Zach Caleros did put you up 22.7. And William Stanback, the big way, with 26.3. Uh, and then a couple uh, painful zeros in there. Jake Weineke putting up zero fantasy points on the week. Uh, who could have seen that coming? And uh, Sean Thomas Erlington for Mike with the uh, late last second scratch uh, did not end up getting any points there. So uh, I win by 0.5, which puts me ahead 15 points on the season. It's going to come down to the wire here, Mike. Uh, what do you think of this week of fantasy football? Well, it's, it's, it's going to come down to who plays their dies in the last week of the season and what's at stake. That's just quite honestly how I see it. Yeah, and uh, that could be uh, an interesting uh, situation down the stretch there. Uh, Got to start loading the teams up potentially with some backups on the bench put on in the final weeks of the season. Let's get into CFL. Pick them to round out the show here. Uh, last week, I know I went two and two. Uh, Mike, do you remember what you, uh, you went with uh, last week? I think you probably were somewhere around the same. Yeah, I know I for sure didn't hit the bar. That's a weekly thing with me. So one loss for sure. I'm thinking I was two and two. All right, let's get into the picks for week 13. Uh, a lot of uh, interesting pick trends once again this week. It kicks off, uh, we got a doubleheader Friday night and a doubleheader Saturday. Uh, Ottawa Red Blacks hosting Calgary Stampeders. First game between these two this year. Uh, what do you think the trend is and which team are you taking? Yeah, I think it's going to be 92 to 8 for Calgary, maybe 95 to 5, something like that. I'm taking Calgary. I don't think this is going to be a close game. Uh, sorry, Ottawa, but uh, I think if there's ever an offensive outburst coming for Calgary, it's this week. Uh, you're very close. 96 to 4 was the trend for the Stampeders. Um, part of me is kind of tempted to take Ottawa because I feel like Calgary occasionally has those games where they just uh, come out flat against Ottawa. I mean, I, I picked them uh, 2019, first game of the year. I picked very much against the trend in that regard and took Ottawa to win that one. But uh, this year, I just can't see it coming. Ottawa's in play for next year mode. Calgary's trying to get themselves a home playoff game. I got to go the Stampeders on this one as well. Uh, second game on Friday night is the Edmonton Elks hosting the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, what's the pick trend and uh, where are you going, Mike? 70-30 Hamilton and I'm taking the Cats to uh, win, the, win a close one. Uh, the trend is 90-10 to 10 Hamilton. Not a lot of people having uh, faith in the Elks uh, based on what they've seen from them in recent weeks. Uh, I'm interested to see how they play coming out of the bye week, but I'm going to take the Thai Cats as well. Uh, it seems like they're on a bit of a roll again with uh, Mazzoli back at the helm and playing to the, the level we know he's capable of, as we've discussed earlier on this show. So I will take Hamilton on the road there. 
then we get into the Saturday games and we've got Toronto hosting BC. Uh, how many people do you think are going uh, which direction and which direction are you going? 80, 80, 80, 20 Toronto is my guess. 79, 21. You're bang on. Okay. That's a, by the way, I just want to make something clear. I do not have a monitor in front of me often when I'm recording uh, this podcast. So that is just a sheer guess. It's a, it's a very good guess. So you were, uh, you were right there. Probably best guess of the year. Uh, which team are you taking to win this one? Where's the game? In, in Toronto? Toronto, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm hesitating on this one because of what I thought last week from Toronto. I generally like to go one upset every week. So I'm going to use an upset right here. I think PC's got a lot of pride that they're going to want to play for. Uh, I can't see Mike O'Reilly being happy with the way last week ended. I'm going to take BC to win by a field goal here. All right. I'm going Toronto. Uh, I think they're going to bounce back after a bad game. McLeod Bethel-Thompson has the uh, the confidence of his management team here uh, as he's uh, been anointed the starter the rest of the way. And I'm sure he wants to bounce back from that four-interception game last week. Uh, the Argos are perfect at home so far this year, and I see that continuing. I think uh, BC also, you know, on the road going out east often struggles, so I'm taking the Argos to win this game. And then final game of the week, the Montreal Alouettes uh, hosting the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Hopefully this time around, uh, the game will actually finish and not be canceled halfway through due to a, uh, a weather delay, which I think happened uh, when they met back in 2019. Uh, it's all a blur at this point, but that sounds familiar. Uh, Montreal hosting Saskatchewan. What's the trend and where are you going? Generally, historically, the trend is heavy riders, I think, because of the fan vote. I'm going to go 70-30 for the riders. Ooh, 73-27 Saskatchewan. This, sir... We should start recording these podcasts in the morning more often. You seem to be on your game today. You, uh, you a bit of a morning person? You seem to be hitting the – this is the rare time we record in the morning. It seems you're hitting these trends on the head. I, I don't know. I really don't know, man. It's just just one of those things. Maybe some of my NFL watches carried over here. Who knows? Uh, who are you taking to win this game? Uh, this is Canada team of the week. I am a re- – if there was ever a game that I was excited for, it's this one. Uh, I want to see because I think it it could very well be a great cup matchup. You know how high I am on uh, Montreal and how high I've been on them all year. I am taking Montreal to win a close one at home. I'm going to say under two and a half points, and I'll say it's going to be a walk-off David Cote field goal to win the highest scoring game of the week. 34-31 Montreal beats the Riders. All right. Uh, this one is so close to me uh, that I, uh, I'm i going to flip a coin here. Uh, heads is Montreal. Tails is Saskatchewan. 
And it landed on heads on taking the Alouettes at home. I really agree with you. This one's going to be close. Montreal's won, I think, four straight games now. They've been on a roll. But I do think the Riders, you know, coming off that win against Calgary, also I think another week of Williams and Evans back in the lineup is going to be huge for them. I think this could be a showdown between these two teams. So uh, give me Montreal uh, also on a late game uh, field goal to win the game based off of the coin flip. Uh, we'll see how that pick works out for me. Uh, just to wrap up the show here, Mike, uh, I know it's been a long one today, but lots to talk about around the CFL. Uh, anything last second you want to mention or plug and where can people find everything you've got going on? Yeah, I have a couple of things. First off, people can find my stuff uh Facebook.com, BassPass, GameTimeTV.ca. Uh, sorry, Facebook.com, slash GameTimeTVMB. They can find it on GameTimeTV.ca and on MightyFMWinnipeg.com, although that website will be changing over to something else in the next uh, two weeks. So I'll be sure to pass that along on the podcast. One note that I wanted to mention, too, that I think I forgot to mention during the... Uh, when we were talking about Saskatchewan and the Calgary game, it was nice to see Coach Craig Dickinson of the Riders coach to win that game instead of coach to lose that game. Uh, early in the fourth quarter, they went for it on fourth and or third and goal on the three yard line, where I think in in games past he would have taken the field goal um, just to go up by whatever they were up by. And then they wound up going for it, and then they wound up getting it. I think that was the the Tyron Moore touchdown there in the fourth quarter. Um, it was nice to see, you know, Dickinson have a little faith in his offense and kind of coach to win instead of being, you know, taking the conventional. And and that helped uh, Saskatchewan as part of the victory. Uh, by those points. That was literally the difference in the football game. Um, it, so it's nice to see, and that's something I want to see a little bit more of, not just from Coach Dickinson, but coaches around the league making uncomfortable decisions, coaching to win instead of coaching to play conservative and, you know, being scared to, you know... <laughs> I don't want to say some coaches in general seem to coach scared and overthink themselves. It was nice to see that the Riders went for it on third and goal on the, the uh, three-yard line early in the fourth quarter. And I, I, I want to see more of that. Because decisions like that but tilt football games, especially in the fourth quarter. Well said on that. I think, you know, it's, uh, it's almost always better, and at least in my opinion, to... Uh, if you're going to lose a game, at least lose trying to win and not lose because you tried to protect the lead and failed to do so, uh, is the way I sum that up. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to plug before we uh, we wrap this up? Oh, no, that, that was basically everything. And uh, I just want you to know that I uh, I appreciate doing this podcast with you. I don't think I've said that on the podcast, but you know, I, I felt like there was time to say that just with all the adjusting of our crazy schedules at least uh someone keeps his head screwed on for this podcast so <laughs> i appreciate that uh in uh in the mass chaos that it that is a lot of weeks and uh i just wanted our listeners to know how much i appreciate you as a co-host oh well thanks buddy 
Uh, also, you know, just for our listeners, yes, we have had kind of re- recording times moving around for the past couple of weeks because we've had pretty busy schedules. Uh, we've also had some technical difficulties at times. It seems like the technical difficulties have worked out pretty well on this episode. So maybe we finally figured that piece out and uh, we'll try to be more consistent with recording and releasing these episodes going forward uh for myself if you want to uh if you're more interested in the cfl fantasy side of things we don't touch on it too much on this show but i do touch on it every week over on youtube on a show called the canadian football fantasy fix Uh, i give you positional previews depth chart updates etc all week to help you get set to lock in your cfl fantasy lineups you can find that there uh if you're interested in that you can also find uh all my fantasy content on twitter at cooper trooper 42 uh, i'll tweet out the depth charts and notables there as well for our show follow us on twitter uh, at cfc on mike fm you can find us on facebook as well uh whichever podcast platform you're listening on if you want to leave us a rating or a review or hit the follow subscribe whatever the button is called on your particular platform uh, and share the link with your friends. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network as well. You can find those on Twitter at CF Pod Network. And uh, hope you enjoy this weekend's games. Uh, we're getting down the stretch drive of the CFL season. Next week, we'll be back uh, early next week to recap week number 13 and start taking a look ahead till week number 14. Uh, as always, for Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye.